Hi, all. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. Before we begin, I just wanted to add in a short little medical disclaimer. Today's episode involves the language and literacies of chronic illness, and I'll be sharing a little bit about my personal experiences. Just a reminder that the information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard in this podcast. The opinions expressed by this host and guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of any institutions they may be affiliated with. This podcast does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast is solely at your own risk. And again, for educational and informational purposes only. With that said, I hope you do enjoy listening to our two amazing guests for today. Enjoy, and thank you so much for listening to the Literacy Landscapes podcast. Hello, and welcome to Literacy Landscapes. I'm the host and creator, Johanna. On Literacy Landscapes, we re-examine literacy theory and watch it in action today. We'll give you an inside look into the classroom and take you outside to where play and practice meet. It brings me great pleasure to introduce you to our guest on this episode, comedian, uh, artist, Antonia Antonia Lassar. Um, Antonia, can you tell us a little bit, of, what would you like the audience to know about you? Um, Hi, Johanna. Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here. Um, So I am a comedian. I'm based in LA and I do stand-up comedy and sketch comedy. And um, I do a lot of comedy on TikTok. Um, My two biggest genres are comedy about chronic illness and comedy about my Jewish life and upbringing and then the intersection of judaism and chronic illness which is an enormous intersection like laughing because that there is such an intersection in my life too which makes me feel like we have so much in common yes Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so yeah so we uh we both share um i have congenital sucrase isomaltase deficiency (laughs) Uh, i i call it csid for short um and uh you know, it's, um, it's funny because I, the other day I was in the supermarket and I had an, I had this like coupon for like a five pound box of matzos. And I was like, I know I can't eat this, but I get, I'm getting these matzos no matter what. And I will give them away if I can. Um, but it's definitely, you know, like there are so many foods that are challenging to eat, right. Looking ahead to Passover and so many of the holidays. Oh my God. And seriously. And, and so for the listeners, I too have CSID. That's how we met. And, and like, I think we're basically kosher for Passover all year round. Like, That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> like I'm already there. I have a friend who's like an incredible challah baker. And when she first heard this, she was like, no problem. Like I'll make you an oat challah or something. And I was like, 
that's not gonna work and she's like okay like maybe a nut flower holland i i'm really sensitive to the sucrose and nuts too not everyone is but i i can't even do nuts and oh so, my goodness like we are we don't have any options here I know. Oh my gosh. Um, so before we get started talking about the language of, of CSID, of CSID, and h- how this all manifests in our lives, one of my questions that I ask every guest has to do with a childhood story, song, poem, something that resonates with you today. Um, I always turn to um uh, could be worse is one of my favorite children's books and Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree. I just still feel like that's a life lesson that I always think about. Is there something you wanted to share with the audience? Yes, I love this question. Um, my parents read so much to me as a kid. So we were, and I still am a huge reader. And um, and I was like thinking what what book really stands out to me and there's like a pantheon of fantasy literature that I was raised on but the book that really I think had a huge impact is not fantasy and it's just a small children's book called the big orange splot have you heard yes (laughs) (laughs) I haven't thought about it in a while but yes I know about it it's spectacular it's like this it's a short children's book i think it's daniel pinkwater um i think and it's the story of this little neighborhood where all the houses look the same and then a seagull drops a can of orange paint on one of the houses and the guy in that house like gets a lot of bad reactions from his neighbors but then just like really vibes with it and starts painting his entire house rainbow colors and like and the neighbors hate it and then he's like it's okay i'm like really vibing with this and he adds like an alligator in his yard and he gets palm trees and it's just this like beautiful story of self-expression and being really loud and extra and it inspires his whole block to have these unbelievably extra houses it's so freaking heartwarming and i read that book so many times specifically because i was like combing through all of the houses being like which is my house like what's my i love that so much isn't that nice? I have to reread it. I haven't like, I just know the title, but like, I haven't thought about it in a really long time. So that, that brings me like so much joy just hearing you talk about it too. Totally. That was, that was a big one. And wait, can I give another shout out to another book? Of course. Okay. So recently I read a ton of fantasy as a kid. And then I thought like, I need to read serious adult books. And I just stopped reading because I don't like reading serious adult books. And then a couple years ago, like maybe eight years ago, I picked up a fantasy book from my childhood and reread it and was like, oh my God, this is so juicy. I can't put it down. I'd forgotten the feeling of like gobbling up a novel. And that sent me on the last eight years, I just decided I'm exclusively reading fantasy and sci-fi. I don't care about adult books anymore. And the book was The Name of the Wind, which is- Yes. Have you read it? Yeah, I'm a big, we, again, another thing we have in common, I'm a huge fantasy and sci-fi fan. So thank you for sharing that title. I have to reread it. It's been like, it's been a minute since I've read it. 
It's really juicy. It reads, I find like it reads so quickly. The, the, I have so many problems with it too. Like it writes women so badly and it's awkward and weird. And the main character has like way too much luck to be plausible. But also it's a really fun book to read. I have to reread it. Yeah, I the last time I felt like that engrossed in a series, oh my gosh, I read it through my entire honeymoon. Sorry to my husband. Um, it was um, his Dark Materials, so the Philip Pullman series. Like I love books like that that take you into an entire an entire world. And Absolutely. Just suck you in. Mm. Absolutely. Ugh, reading. I know. I mean. It makes sense that I do what I do in, in the fields of education. So I really love books. So our topic for today has to do with, with chronic illness. And, you know, when I first became, so I've been sick, like I'd been sick my whole life. So, like my thing is that I was always in pain, um, always in pain. Like I remember being in pain at my prom. I remember being in pain, like at all these important moments of my life and worrying about whether my dress was going to fit or whether I'm going to be uncomfortable and having to go home sometimes and just lie on my belly because it was so bloated and I was in so much pain and like it always being there like a shadow. And, you know, I was told many things. I saw lots of different gastros who always were like, you have IBS, because it was just like easy to say this general umbrella. And when I finally found this right doctor who like introduced me to CSED uh, that I had never heard of, um, a light bulb came on and I learned this whole new language. Like I learned that I don't have the enzyme to break down disaccharides. And suddenly it's like I became a little of a scientist. So do you want to walk us through kind of your learning process and how it, how you learned about it? Oh, totally. I mean, I have the exact same story. I have been in pain since as long as I can remember. Um, I have an identical twin and every night we would check in and go, do you have the nighttime stomach ache? And she would go, yeah, of course I have the nighttime stomach ache. And so we were just like, that's what happens to bodies. So we never brought it up to anyone. We were like, that's oh just what happened. And I mean, my entire life has been about managing my stomach and managing my pain. Like I'm constantly on the hunt for pants that have an extremely stretchy waistband that don't look like they have a stretchy waistband. I like never want to go out to events because the nighttime is always worse for me. It always gets worse by the end of the day. I like when I have performances, I, I have to figure out how to fit my like swollen bloated belly into my costumes or do I just suck it up for the show and come off stage and sort of like unbutton everything that I've squeezed myself into. It's just like, it has, it has been my entire life has been about managing my pain and feeling like morally inferior that I didn't have the energy to do the things that everyone else was doing that I didn't like have. Yes. Every, it just looks like everyone's living with all this ease and mm -hmm. here I am, everything hurts. I just want to sit on a soft couch all the time, you know? And I do know. <laughs> yes. Oh, you know, it's like, and when one part of your body is in pain, I mean, it tends to radiate. Like when your belly is swollen, 
I don't want to sit on a hard chair because then my back starts hurting. And it, it, it all travels. That's sort of yep. the phenomenon of chronic pain is that it can set off these cascades. So, so that was my entire life. And I felt so inferior. And then, and I went to doctors exact same as you. And they said, I don't know, this is anxiety. It's IBS. Like we have no answers for you. And it was, it was just unbelievably frustrating. Yep. I remember going to doctors and just praying that someone would say like, you've got celiac or you've got, Oh my God. Same. Like give me an answer. Give me an answer with a mm -hmm. treatment, you know? And I never got it. And then like around the pandemic, I got way worse, just stopped being able to eat, just completely started having a meltdown at the same time that I was eating a ton of sugar as a coping mechanism. Now I know that like sucrose is, is just basically, you know, it's setting off this cascade of symptoms and, and there I was eating so much sucrose and was in and out of doctors again, like begging for a diagnosis. And it wasn't until I switched gastroenterologists just maybe five or six months ago that someone thought to test me for CSID and like just having the language of a diagnosis, being able to say, oh, I have this thing is so empowering. It is like, it marks such a shift in my chronic illness journey when I can just have, I can have a thing. And it's a thing that my doctors all believe exists. It's like, it's a thing that they take seriously that they're not going to see on my chart and think, oh, she's like, you know, a hysterical woman. This is like, oh my God, I'm thinking of that Seinfeld episode where Elaine's like, what did they write in my chart? Did you ever see that episode? Like, what's no, in the I chart? Haven't. Yeah. I haven't, but I've thought so much about what's written in charts. One thing, this is a bit of a tangent, but one thing that I've seen written in my chart frequently that I think is crazy is my doctor, my doctors will write something like she like has a very pleasant demeanor. You do. Like, well, thanks. That's so <laughs> They'll be like, she, like patient was extremely pleasant. And I'm like, so why are you writing this in my chart? Like, is this medically necessary? Does this mean that like, I deserve better care than someone who has an unpleasant demeanor? That's fascinating. Right? <laughs> because I think that's where we're going. It's like, she's got a pleasant demeanor so future doctors reading this like take her seriously so my doctors are like she's not one of these jerks who's mean to us who yeah. doesn't deserve good care she's a nice person she's a nice person yeah i you know i, I it's funny because i i actually once saw a letter from one gastro to another saying something similar like she's a lovely young lady i'm like well thank you for that can you also give me some answers because i know it's yeah. not in my head but I also, I had a, I had a gastro just literally look at me for 10 minutes, go, just don't eat any bell peppers or in gassy foods. And then like sent me off on my way. And I was like, that was not helpful. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Another one told me to like, do mindfulness and like, you know, just, you know, again, like, yeah, like, I, you know, I, I personally think mental health is extremely important. And, you know, so I just want to preface everything with that. But 
I knew it wasn't just anxiety. I knew there was physiological something wrong. Something wasn't right. Something was not working. Exactly. Same. Like I seem a therapist and I'm on antidepressants and both of them have been hugely helpful for my life. And I meditate daily and all of those three things do improve my physical symptoms. When I don't have them, my physical symptoms are worse, but they don't bring me to an acceptable baseline. They bring me still to something that's very unacceptable. And I needed some more medical intervention to actually like make me functional again. Yeah. And that's like, that brings me to like another question that I have. So I spent like a lot of my life kind of blaming myself for what I ate or not drinking enough water or like blaming myself for the pain I was feeling all the time. And always feeling like this weird cycle of guilt, like wanting to hang out with my friends, wanting to not worry about, you know, whatever I was drinking or whatever I was eating. And then suddenly I had like answers and I feel like it's almost reshaped the way I view myself and the stories I tell myself, like my, my own narrative. Um, did that kind of like you know, uh, take place for you too? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we specifically have a disorder that's exacerbated by sugar. And like our culture already kind of demonizes sugar. And so I had this intuitive sense that every time I was eating like a lot of carbohydrates or cake or sugar, ice cream, or, you know, all of the things that like are wonderful i could they tell are they are and i could tell that i felt a lot worse when i was eating them and i just sort of blamed myself like i guess i don't have like impulse control i like just bring it on myself because i'm like so addicted to sugar that like it's all my fault, like totally ignoring the fact that there were other people in my family who were eating the same sugar and not Mm -hmm. doubled over in pain by the end of the night, you know? Yeah. And, And then going through this whole diagnosis journey, when you hear, we don't know what's wrong, we don't know what's wrong, so many times the answer, like you said, starts to point to mental health and And all of it just became this like big narrative of like, I think I'm the cause of all of my pain. And like somehow I have to basically like whip myself into shape so that I can stop hurting myself. That was basically like my takeaway. And I like, and I, you know, have discovered all of these things. This CSID has also like, it has caused a lot more problems too. Like now I have visceral yeah. hypersensitivity. I do have IBS. Like there is just so much dysregulation in my entire GI tract from years of basically, Same. you know, like poisoning myself. Yes. And, and those things really do for me respond to stuff like meditation and daily exercise and consistent meal times and basically you know a somewhat monk like lifestyle actually really helps 
manage my symptoms. And so even now, even with the CISA diagnosis, sometimes when I go off of my routines and my symptoms flare, I still think to myself, like, I am the cause of all of my pain. It's because I'm getting lazy about my routines. It's just like a narrative that is I've heard for so long that the seasick diagnosis has disrupted in a huge way, but like when it's still there, right? It's still there. Oh my gosh. I, are we related? Like I'm (laughs) for real. I'm so the same way. So like, if I don't do my daily walk, if I don't eat at the same time, if I don't go to bed at the same time, I feel it the next day. I feel it in my gut. I feel it in my whole body. It's it's like the same. I have to have this routine. My body needs it. Um, and and I do kick myself and give myself a tough time if you know if I don't follow it. And you know, I I, I have to remind myself like you have to be gentle to yourself. Um, but it's years and years of me thinking this way. It's really hard to unpack. It's really, really hard. And I also grew up processing my trauma through eating sugar. Like that was just the only reliable sense of like joy and acceptance in my childhood. And now figuring out how to like process big emotions without going to a sugary treat is so difficult this this last weekend i just had like a tough day and my husband had gotten some babka for shabbat what kind we need some specifics oh my god yeah chocolate chocolate with like a little cinnamon and it had this like like caramelized nut like streusel on top it was insane and i had some because i was just like you know, feeling like I just needed the emotional support. I basically was non-functional for the entire weekend. And the narrative in my head was I have disabled myself. Like I have, I had so many things to do this weekend and like this choice, which is totally reasonable has shut my life down. And that's like still something I'm like really trying to work through is like these like these stories are not true and they're really not helpful. Yes, <laughs> on so many levels. And I feel like I have to come up with like, I, I'm working on like coming up with a new phrase for myself. I haven't figured out the right one, but like I need to come up with a phrase like, Either like I'm doing my best, I have to like move forward. I don't know what it is. I haven't figured out, but like I need to come up with my own catchphrase to like stop myself when I go into that spiral because it happens to me too. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your shtick. Tell me a little bit about how you, to me, you know, looking at your TikTok, I see comedy as a form of empowerment. Um, and it just is incredible. You're so talented. So, so tell us, tell the audience a little bit about your, how you approach comedy. My shtick. I love talking to a fellow Jew about this, that you can just be like, so what's your (laughs) shtick? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, so 
I, I mean, I've been in comedy for years and I'm particularly obsessed with using comedy as like a tool to either educate or just help people talk about something that they don't want to talk about. I like toured a show about sexual violence on college campuses for a long time that was all comedy. And that was like a helpful way to sort of lead into colleges like sexual violence prevention curriculums. And then like while I was extremely sick, I, I, my like, one thing that I was desperate for was a sense of community around other people who like could not eat food without pain. And so I went, I just went on social media and I was like Googling, I was searching all of the search, relevant search terms. And I found so many amazing creators who were like vulnerably sharing, vulnerably sharing their journeys with chronic illness. And it was like so validating, but also like there was not so much comedy and it felt like just another voice to add to the conversation. Like, I'm so grateful for all of these creators who've been sharing like so much of the sort of like raw, devastating side of being chronically ill. And I don't think that comedy is superior to that at all. It's just another like voice. And so I just remember thinking like, like I've got to make some some stupid sketches about this because also it's like there's nothing but material when you are in and out of doctor's offices. There is so much absurdity to this whole journey. So that's um that's what got me started on on TikTok. Actually, I, I wasn't on TikTok until then, and I was like, I've got to just throw up these stupid sketches for the world to see. So they're, they're awesome. And I connect with so many of them. So I just like, once I started looking at uh, your sketches, I just kept, you know, I found myself clicking next, next. Um, And so my question, I have a couple of questions actually related to comedy, but like, you've done some live shows. um, And you've also you're on TikTok and this platform and kind of what is the response from what kinds of responses do you receive um, from your audience members? Oh, it's a good question. Um, in, I mean, amazing responses pretty much across the board. As, when I was doing live shows, there were, uh, especially the sexual violence shows, I think those were really impactful. And and online, there have been amazing responses too. I think that there is something interesting that's been happening very recently which is that a bunch of neo-Nazis found my Instagram and started commenting. And oh my they, gosh. they have boosted my engagement <gasps> so much. Oh no. I have gotten like 3,000 new followers in the last two weeks because the anti-Semites, the anti-Semites have boosted my engagement that much. And I'm like, all right. Like, oh my gosh. I love that for me. <laughs> So that is like, that's a really funny part of of being online. But what I think is like to me the most powerful part of transitioning from stage to online content, even though I'm still performing live as well, 
two things. One, more people have seen my TikToks than have ever seen my live shows combined. Like a single, a single TikTok has more views than any of my live performances, you know. Um, but also it is way more accessible for me as a chronically ill person to create content for the internet. Because for sure, the accessibility. The accessibility mm-hmm. is a game changer. I can do it from my comfy apartment. I can film with like regular shirts on top and stretchy pants on bottom. I Do you film with a heat pad on your belly? Exactly. <laughs> I film with my heating pad strapped on. Like it's right with you. It's so accessible for me to create content for the internet. And it was a game changer for my comedy career because I also would blame myself a lot for not having the energy and being too uncomfortable to like schlep out to open mics every single night, which is a big narrative in comedy. That's like, if you're not putting in the grind of like, going to a show every single night, then you don't really care about this. You don't really deserve success. And I just physically could not do that. And so now that I can actually put in work from home in a comfortable environment, I'm discovering that I have so much more drive and capacity for creation than I thought I had when I was in like this, like very inaccessible world. That's a really good point. And I'm wondering, um, so there, it's, there are benefits obviously to TikTok. Um, do, do you feel like there is a difference in terms of the engagement, like the actual social engagement? Is there something special about that in person as well that, you know, do you, feel, I guess I'm wondering, will it eventually supplant in person, right? Do you see like social media kind of, or do you feel like there's space for the two? I think there's space for the two. Like, I think that they have, they're just two very different experiences. I know at, from an audience perspective, like I love the accessibility of social media that I can watch this from anywhere. And I also love the magic and sort of long form quality of a live performance. And I don't know, yeah. I don't see them I don't see social media replacing live performance. Yeah. It just, I think, adds another avenue. Yeah, and I feel like, and and I'm always terrified when I go to comedy shows because I never want to be called on, but like, I know there's like an art form to crowd work for a comedian, right? Like there's, it's a, it's a whole like skill set. So- Oh my God, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, interacting, the magic of seeing someone like really interact live with an audience is it's like transcendent when you see a really good comedian do something live like that. I don't think that is going to be replaced, you know. So question for you, who are like, who are you inspired by? Ooh, um, I've been thinking about this recently. I think like two of my biggest comedy inspirations are Mike Birbiglia and Gary Gullman. And they have similar forms of comedy. I sort of think of their comedy as like, they both really like milk the fact that they're like their cowardliness. Like they're nevish, they're nevish comedy, you know? Yes. And 
that is really validating for me to see as a fellow nebbish who's afraid of everything. I, I just like love watching these people sort of celebrate these parts of themselves. And they're both amazing storytellers. And I'm also really inspired by Quinta Brunson, who is amazing amazing who started sort of in the similar places I am right now creating online video content and Issa Rae as well and Abby and Alana from Broad City and then transitioned that to having like a show that all of them you know are piloting and writing and starring in and I'm really really inspired by that as well I love all of this and can you tell the audience how they can find you Yes, you can find me at Antonia Lassar, which is a play on my last name, Lassar, so cute, um, on Instagram and TikTok. And if you are listening and you're Jewish, I'm currently booking a stand-up tour of synagogues. So if you have a synagogue that is looking for some entertainment, Google my name, you'll find my email address and reach out to me. That is awesome and i never even i never thought that that would be a venue but there we go i, I know isn't it. it amazing i have all these rabbis in my dms being like will you do stand up for my shul and i was like absolutely that's amazing yeah oh my gosh well thank you so much antonia this was just such a great conversation is there anything else you want to share with with us before we we say goodbye no, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I'm so glad you're doing this podcast. Literacy is such a juicy subject and like so much wider ranging than I think people realize. And so I'm just so happy to be here. Oh, thank you so much, Antonia. Moving from comedy to fitness, this next conversation regarding chronic illness is with Alize David, also known as the Chronically Fit Coach. I hope you find Alize's ideas as inspirational as I did. It is my great pleasure to introduce our guest for today on the Literacy Landscapes podcast, Alize David. I love it. You have my same last name um, and we have a lot in common. So Alize David is going to share with us um, her experiences, approach to coaching. She's known as the chronic, chronically fit coach. Um, and it's just such a joy and a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I'm really excited to um, go ahead with this podcast. So um, yeah, as, as you introduced me, I'm Alice David, and I've been diagnosed with uh, IBD, Crohn's disease in 2012. Um I that time I've been still in Hungary, so it was um not really known there and then mm -hmm. what is this illness. Um as you said, you you listened to my podcast as well that I I do explain there that like no one really talked about these uh, chronic illnesses. Like um, when I got my diagnosis through uh, ultrasound, I was like, okay, how how do we treat it? And that there and then they said it's like no, it's untreatable. Either medication, sometimes surgery, and I got really really scared. And uh, I'm pretty sure that. 
many of us with chronic illnesses resonate with this because when you get a diagnosis and then you basically facing with something that oh you cannot do anything about it it's very devastating and um I spent a couple of years like hoping it's gonna get better and uh, it did a little bit uh, but not much because later then I've realized that uh, like other than taking medication I haven't really changed anything I haven't changed my diet I haven't changed my lifestyle I was still drinking every now and then on the weekends I was smoking um and and I've done a lot of things that didn't support my health and as kids or or just in everyday life people don't really talk about what is a healthy lifestyle yeah of course don't eat too much chocolate um maybe do some sports but it's not really something that's talked about and um i think i think after like a f- couple of years uh, i met someone who introduced me the healthier lifestyle and that's where i started feeling the difference and this is how like slowly throughout the years as i was uh, educating myself doing the research uh through books through internet i've learned a lot and two three years ago i've decided was like okay this is what i want to do i want because i i met more and more people with especially on instagram where where you can build a community yes. uh that okay they have got the same issues they have mm-hmm. got the same problems they they are feel like feeling hopeless and 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 tired and they just don't know what to do it was like okay yeah. so this is this is what I want to do helping people to get fitter healthier so on so I think I found my purpose <laughs> I I can tell I have to just be honest so we found each other on Instagram just to tell the audience um I recently was di- I've had belly issues my entire life it's not something that I've felt co- that I've opened up about. It's because I've had it my whole life and I never had a real answer. I just thought this is the way I need to live. This is the way I'm going to live. Always in pain, always worried about what I'm going to eat, always blaming myself. If I enjoyed myself, there was a lot of like, you know, uh, this, this podcast explores like literacy and the stories also that we tell ourselves. And I, I always blamed myself. I shouldn't have had that cake. I shouldn't have had those chips, right? Always worried as a kid, uh, you know, I'd go to sleepovers and eat the wrong thing and be sick. Doctors didn't know what was wrong with me, right? So, you know, having this chronic illness for so long um, also was really difficult for me. And so I resonate with that so hard, like so much. Um, and like you said, like, you know, at the time, like there wasn't such knowledge, right, about Crohn's or about IBD, and it wasn't something that was talked about as much. Um, you know, I'm so glad that you're spreading the word, right? So can you tell us a little bit about your messaging and how you, how you, t- how you have reshaped your story? So, uh, yeah, as you said, like, many people feel shame and and they feel like it's a taboo 
and um, many people think that how to put it many people think that they are not able to do anything for themselves so my messaging is that be proactive yes yes like I think there is a place to uh, use medications and there is a place to um, go for surgeries. I, I did have surgery because I had to. So that was a lifesaver surgery. But my, I believe that you cannot out-medicate a bad lifestyle. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, and, yeah. and lifestyle is not just what you eat. A lifestyle that is not just that you go to the gym or go for running it's also uh as you said like how you talk about yourself uh yes what what kind of traumas you'd live with um how do you manage stress are you a people pleaser are you uh able to set boundaries with 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 yourself and with other people are you um sleeping enough are you getting enough sunlight are you aware of kind of deficiencies you have vitamins and stuff so obviously sometimes diets can't sort these things out especially when you are in a flare and and yes and on and on and on and, and lifestyle like as a, as a holistic approach is so so important and it's actually can help you reduce your medication and get into remission and and live like a, a normal life like obviously it's not going to be like 100% normal yeah for a very very long time you will feel tired you will you will have struggles healing is not linear but as long as you are staying consistent same as weight loss so I was I was a weight loss coach for a very very long time same as weight loss sometimes you mess up and and you have something on, on a social event that you shouldn't really but but as like instead of beating yourself up just use this as a reflection and what can you do next time and and this is how I coach people that be kind to yourself but be proactive it's not your fault that you developed an illness like this but is on you to heal yourself okay because because as I said we haven't been taught as ch children that in school that oh you should eat yes yeah they do you should eat your veggies you should eat your food but it's like the food industry lately is is very very diverse on health foods and not so healthy foods fast restaurants all everything is is advertised so we need to educate ourselves it's on us to to educate ourselves with with like what is that we should be doing especially when we have got already a chronic illness thank you so much for mentioning that um all of the above it's so important and it's something that i learned for myself like you said like stop beating myself up and okay i ate something i shouldn't have eaten it made me feel sick I learned I'm going to try to, you know, get back on track and do the right thing. Um, and particularly my, my, I, I have CSID, which is congenital sucrase isomaltase deficiency, which is a mouthful. And I can't break down starches and sucrose and that's in everything. So 
for me, this has, first of all, the, my whole life I've been not feeling well and no one knew why. And I have this very rare disorder that I recently actually ended up going to a new gastro and they'd never heard of it. That's how rare it is that even specialists don't always know. Um, so it's totally reframed my approach to how I talk to myself, but also how I approach life, like you said, and, and I'm really inspired by you. I love your posts. Like, I just love like your, first of all, I need to get back in the gym. I see pictures of you and I'm like, okay, I've lost a lot of muscle mass. I just finished my dissertation. And I think I spent a lot of time sitting and I need to get back in the gym. Um, one question that I always ask my guests has to do with a story, a song, something that either is from your childhood or now that you find inspirational. Is there anything that you'd like to share? Anything that you feel like you go back to that is that resonates with you? Maybe not from the childhood, but uh, once after, after uh, I've divorced my um, daughter's dad, I, I went on a date and and maybe that was the first time when I dared to talk about my illness. And that time I was living with it for about two years and it, it caused a lot of struggle. And he was a very weird person, by the way. So I didn't even like, oh, okay, no. I'm not going to see you. I just dumped my shit on you. Uh, but uh, he, he was like, he he said something that hit me really really and and it was in my back of my mind for many many years and somehow it just made sense a couple of years ago so when I was talking about that I have got an illness he 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 didn't even blink or anything and kind of like he knew what I'm talking about so that was very surprising as well but he asked one question what is it that happened to you that you cannot digest so what is that you cannot process and like literally I like my my childhood started really really well I was living in a really wealthy family and um but my parents were very, very busy. And both my parents passed away very early, um, unfortunately. And I'm so sorry to hear that. First my dad and later on, obviously, my mom was struggling with depression, drinking. And uh, so my teen years, when I when I supposed to be a teen, I was like literally um, going through a tough time. Oh, my gosh. And, so by the time I was in my 20s and and I was sitting in front of that guy and I was just like what what did you just say so that time I felt like was like he he must be I mean he must be right but obviously I didn't have any like background information about it I just it just resonated with me so much and I I really felt like that he it must be right, and then only years later when I've learned about like obviously I started changing my lifestyle, my diet. I was starting going to the gym, and for many years it 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 improved my quality of life. But only after I had my surgery after my second child, um, I've 
realized that until I don't deal with trauma and stress in my life, I will keep having flare-ups. That's so powerful. And it reminds me of that book from Dr. Van Der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score. Are you familiar with that book? Um, And the book is all about the the brain, the mind and the body and and uh, healing in trauma. Right. But the the, how all of those pieces are interconnected. Yes, I I definitely want to read that that one because I'm really into these books. My my book that I I love is from Gabo Mate. He's a Hungarian. Mm. Uh, psychotherapist yes and uh, he's got a book the body when the body says no and I need to read that one (laughs) it's 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 brilliant book so it's not only like digestive diseases but any mental illness like basically he is talking about even on Instagram you can look it up he's talking about like how uh, trauma stress and trauma manifests um physiological and neurological illnesses because we store it in the in the body and and if you if you think about like the you cannot separate the mind and the body so and very often western medicine separates the two right in my experience yes definitely and um And 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 I feel like that this is this is one of the the biggest like if you think about it, you cannot separate it. Like if you are sad, if you are anxious, if you are in love, the butterflies in the tummy, the the not in your tummy, like if you are excited for a job interview, you you, you need to go to the toilet more often because 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 that's that's what it manifests. I think we've all been there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And uh, it 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 made sense after a couple of years, and I was just like, okay, so I need to do the work. <laughs> so when you were first diagnosed, so I mentioned like suddenly I, you know, when I found out I had CSID, first of all, I was like, I have what? Like suddenly it's like this acronym and I'm like breaking it down. Well, what's sucrose and what does sucrose really mean? And I realized, oh, it's a disaccharide. And then I, what is starch? And, you know, I, like suddenly I'm getting into science to figure out what's going on with my body. Um, so were there new words that you learned? Do you feel like your medical vocabulary kind of expanded um, once you were first diagnosed? Um, not at first. At first, I was that person who was blindly believing the doctors, here mm-hmm. is your medication, and this is, this is see, see what happens. And I only started looking into it when um my boyfriend that time was he he was really into fitness so he introduced me uh, to fitness and um he was saying like why don't you try to eat healthy why don't you go and try to go to the gym at least you would have a nicer bum as well I was like oh thank you you can oh, well thanks so much <laughs> so much and it was like yes obviously it was a um argument after that or like I can imagine you're not really nice um but I I I remember that he he was that kind of man who 
heard about my illness and he sat down and he started researching. And then he started showing me these researches. It was like, try, look into this paleo diet to see if that's helping you. Um, when we, we moved to the UK together and I was like, okay, let's go to the gym. I was like, I want to go to the gym. I want to uh -huh. do something with myself. I, 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 I want to be proactive. And, um, and it, and it worked. It kind of worked. And I started, um, at first, obviously I, when I, when I, uh, started the diet, this paleo diet, I lost, I still lost a lot of weight. So I was really underweight, uh, which mm -hmm. I was kind of like happy for it because I was always in the child. Um, and I, I lost weight due to the illness and due to being in a restrictive diet. Um, and then I, I realized that I need more food like rice mm -hmm. and potato, which is not part of the paleo diet. But generally what happened with the diet I removed all the processed food yes yes and yes and mm -hmm. only after many years I've realized that it wasn't the paleo it was removing the processed food like most of it that was like, not 100% yeah. but most of it and uh it it it, it put me in remission without any medication Oh, that's huge. Wow. Yes. I felt a difference too, because I had to go when I first started working with a nutrition registered dietitian nutritionist, uh, we had to like do like an elimination diet. And the first thing she said was like, mm -mm, no more, you know, we need to find out your threshold for starch and, you know, and sucrose, but we got to take all the processed food away, whole foods only. And I felt such, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. I work full time. I have kids. I have lots of responsibilities. There is, you have to take the time to make that whole food, right? To have it prepared for lunch. Otherwise you're running for the bag of chips or whatever granola bar, right? But I felt what a difference. I mean, huge. Yes, definitely. And um, it helped me a lot. Um, so I gained back some weight. And uh, then I qualified as, as a personal trainer. Then I started uh, studying nutrition. So I always were more towards nutrition. So I like bodybuilding for, for like the hobby side and moving and, and managing mental health and, and all, all the benefits. Right. And obviously, especially with IBD, we are, higher risk for osteoporosis especially as we age oh I didn't and know that so working on the muscles is beneficial yes because uh it, you don't just work on the muscles you also stress the bones which makes it, it. thicker so that's why resistance training is 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 so so important um to start with even if you just start doing body weight exercises it's 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 good for especially for women um as as obviously as we lead into menopause it's higher risk yes <laughs> <laughs> and so important i like i mentioned like i 
I feel better. I think my, my mood is better. I'm just in better mental place. I love running, even though running's terrible for my knees and my knees get angry at me. I really feel emotionally so good after I've done a run, right? I need to move my body. I think we are meant to move our bodies and yet we spend a lot of time sitting, right? Yes. Yes. Which is, which is even worse than just standing. Um, I've seen a study that like moving your body is obviously releasing endorphins and those endorphins hormones are, are responsible for so many functions in your body. And also when you move your muscles, your muscles are producing myokines, which is Mm -hmm. responsible for longevity and they are anti-inflammatory as well. So physical activity here in UK I do work for um, the council who are organizing well-being workshops where we talk about diet and we get moving people who have got uh, different kind of illnesses because now they start recognizing that is part of the therapy and even if you like hear hear stories about uh people with diabetes they if they lose weight then they start eating healthier and uh moving their body they literally can stop their medication if they get to a level or lower the medication same as for someone who has got heart disease PCOS, any kind of stuff. So once their symptoms are are lessened, they don't need as much med- medication because what I believe is medication is treating the symptoms, but it doesn't treat the root cause. It's the root cause, yeah. Thank root you. cause is often found in lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I absolutely see it. And it's easy to get caught in the trap of I'm too tired, I'm too stressed, and then it becomes a vicious cycle, right? And I've experienced I've experienced it a lot. I'm gonna be truthful. Yeah, and definitely. I I I had times that I I was working from six in the morning till two in the afternoon, went pick up the kids, came home, and I literally passed out on the sofa. While I was cuddling up with my daughter, she was watching uh, telly. And when my partner got home, I dressed up and went to the gym after having a nap. And you Uh, felt so much better, right? And yes, absolutely. And even like I went to the gym with an achy tummy and came home with nothing. Yeah, Because I moved, like obviously things are moving when, when when you move your body and the bloatness uh, was uh, less severe the pain went away at least for a couple of hours so that was a much more relief and I was so much happier as well so I only just found benefits of of changing my lifestyle and and yes there is a genetic side of it but if you don't look after yourself then I think you are just screwed up. Oh no. 
it's, 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 you know, it's just, it can be very difficult and taking that first step can be really hard. Um, and I've been there where it's uh, like, I've had incredible bloating, like you said, where I look like I'm like seven months pregnant. I've been stopped on the street and asked, when are you due? And I go, I'm not pregnant. This has happened so many times in my life. Um, and as you know, with bloating comes pain, <laughs> right? There's a lot of gas. There's a lot of pressure. Um, and so I, I can understand and empathize because I've been there where I'm really feeling so not well that it's just hard to get myself to do that first step. Do you have any advice? Like, what do you, what do you say to someone like me? I'm one of your, let's say I'm one of your clients. What do you tell me? I'm like, Oh my, I am so bloated. What do you recommend? Uh, going for a walk. That's a good one. Just one step at a time, right? If you, if you, if you cannot go and do a workout, go for a 10 minute walk, uh, do stretches, for example. So there are, there are stretches where, where you can basically, I, I had a lot of times when I, I just done some workout at home, like a 10 minute, five, 10 minutes and just get moving so that gas and bloatness can go. If there is there are times when you need to sleep and and you need to take a step back especially when when you have got a severe flare-up but also we have to understand that being proactive doesn't start with doing everything 100 percent sometimes it takes off knowing that listening to your body that okay now I need a rest okay I can't really go to the gym right now because I'm feeling that unwell like um, like depends on the symptoms but I can go for a walk I have a nap and I try to go for a walk get some fresh air um, go for a walk get some sunlight um, drink loads of water Make sure I get something healthy in my body because because when when you are in a flare, you absolutely don't feel hungry mm, and mm-hmm. and and you don't have energy going and lifting weights. so that's that's absolutely understandable. But control what you can control and what you can't control, just don't worry about it. I really love that. Like, you know what? Just take take a little walk, say, then maybe that five minute walk will turn into a 10 minute walk. Maybe it'll turn into more. Um, when I'm stressed, I always, you know, do a little lap, right. I find just moving that body also helps to move the stress out for me, um, as well. So I appreciate that so much, right. You don't have to like hit the gym and like, you know, to do some deadlifts, like, okay, like just take a small walk and that, you know, that can help things along. Um, I'm, I'm just so grateful to you for, for this conversation. And do you want to tell us a little bit about, um, your practice about, um, your, you know, is there a way to contact you? Um, tell us a little bit about you. So you can find me on Instagram, mainly on Instagram. I'm on TikTok as well, but I'm still trying to find my feet on there. Same. But main, main, <laughs> it's not easy. No. Um, but uh, on Instagram, I'm I'm very active daily stories. Um, so uh, at the chronically fit coach, 
Uh, you can always drop me a DM if you have got any questions and um, just follow for posts because I'm always trying to give tips and advice like mindset, nutrition, exercise. Uh, and of course, if you give me questions or give me your problem, I can turn it into a com uh, content as well so I can help many, many people because it's not only you who has got that struggle it's trust me almost everyone has got the same or similar struggles I really love that and I originally was very nervous about doing a podcast episode about having an Instagram about my condition I actually am just launching a website but I've been getting like messages from people who are grateful that I'm talking about this and sharing information and it's fueling me a little bit because, you know, I feel like um, it's important to spread the word, right? I've been trying to keep, I've been keeping everything private. And you know what? A lot of us have been keeping our pain and our discomfort private, and it's time to talk about it and and to share our knowledge. So I appreciate you so much. I just want you to know, I like, you're just amazing. And I love the work that you do. And I'm really grateful. So thank you so much. Thank you so much as well. Thanks so much for listening to the Literacy Landscapes podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks so much to my son, Max, and his amazing teacher, James, for the theme song you're listening to today. Be well. Bye.